this is a tough league. You know, you're going to be in it for seven or eight years. You're going to have some years where you're you're going to have to really prove your mental toughness. But we're playing for a lot. We're in the first year. We feel like we're making some strides uh, internally. You know, we feel like offensively we're getting a lot better. And uh, defensively, we're seeing a few players really step up. We're excited about We need more of that. So we're just going to keep building, laying the bricks, and trying to lay in a foundation for the future of this football team. Okay, Vegas Nation, it's time for another episode of the Vegas Nation podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Fang. Today joined with, as always, our Raiders beat writer, Michael Gelkin, who resides out in the Bay Area and brings us all the news that you need to keep on top of everything happening with the Raiders from week to week. And you can find everything that he does on ReviewJournal.com, as well as in the paper, the Las Vegas Review Journal. This week, the Raiders coming off what could have been a huge upset in the AFC West against the Chiefs, a 40-33 loss that was spoiled by turnovers. We're going to get into that, as well as the upcoming Steelers game. That time moved now, flexed to the 125 Pacific time start. It was originally slated as a night game, now happening at 1.25 p.m. locally here on the Pacific Coast, 4.25 Eastern. So we'll break down that game for you. And we'll also hear from tight end Jared Cook, who's having a pretty stellar year for the Raiders considering the, the season that the team is having. He has been a bright spot among them. Also in that top five still among tight ends in the NFL. So Jared Cook, He's a guy that wants to eventually make it to the Pro Bowl, so we're going to hear from him. Michael was able to get an interview there. But first off, Michael, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's pretty cold here in the Bay Area. How's the weather going over there in Nevada? Same. I am dressed in a turtleneck sweater, which is something I don't often do. I'm not a turtleneck kind person, but this this has been uh, you know in the 40s out here. And uh, even in the mid 50s. And, you know, even though that's not what I was used to when I lived on the East Coast, it, it's pretty darn cold. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm staying nice and warm and toasty as much as possible. The studio, Larry Mears in here, he's got it at a very comfortable, feels like 70 degrees. So that's uh, nice and relaxing to have the nice, nice warmth in the studio. But uh, it's good to hear from you again. And we were out there in the. Uh, Oakland, where the Raiders had this very kind of on the edge of your seat game coming down to almost like the last possession that they had the ball where they they could have, they should have, <laughs> but it wasn't there because what happened was every running back, uh, three of them anyway, that held the ball fumbled, um, which caused the Raiders the game, cost the Raiders the game. And you even wrote that that hadn't happened uh, back to the 1970 AFL-NFL merger, and that was the first time that had happened where three different running backs lost at least one fumble on offense in the same game. Michael, you wrote about it. We lived it. What did you make of the Raiders and that fumbling and how, how it could have been? This could have been the big upset for them. Yeah, no doubt. This could have been the signature win of John Gruden's first season with the Raiders. And instead, it, of course, wasn't realized. And those fumbles that you mentioned were a critical reason as to why that signature win did not happen. And it's a real fluke when you look at the grand context of this Raiders season where fumbling the ball hasn't been a real issue for this backfield. The backfield has had going into the game 316 offensive touches that includes Marshawn Lynch who of course is unavailable 
on injured reserve with a groin injury. But 316, and then the very first 20 offensive touches, you had Jalen Richard commit a fumble that he lost. You had DeAndre Washington commit a fumble that he lost. And then, uh, so, pardon me, it was Doug Martin, DeAndre Washington, and then Jalen Richard late. And the Richard one was a real painful one on the scoreboard. The first two lost fumbles resulted in field goals. Richards created or led to a touchdown. And that really is the difference of the game. A 13-point swing in terms of 13 points off turnovers in the game decided by one touchdown. So uh, definitely not something that the Raiders imagined happening. You saw at practice Wednesday, Jamal Singleton, the Raiders running backs coach, he obviously was irate on the sideline. I was looking from the press box, my binoculars, and seeing the way he was reacting after each fumble. After the second one, he was standing near the sideline bench. His running backs were sitting on that bench. And after having made his point about his expectations as related to ball security, he screamed, you got me, you got me, you got me, at each one of his running backs. And then, of course, the third fumble happened. And when Singleton looked at those fumbles, he saw a theme of the ball was being punched out, including when one of his running backs might be falling to the ground while in the process of being tackled. And so during Wednesday's session, he introduced a new drill to practice. He had a, a long stick with a – you're going to like this one, Larry. Uh, it was – in Heidi, you, you love boxing too. The uh, There's a boxing glove that was – taped to the end of this stick and he's just taking the stick and just throwing haymakers at <laughs> his running back and like at different angles including with the running backs falling to the ground and so if you're going to punch out if you're going to allow the ball to be punched out of your grip well I'm going to be punching at you over the course of the practice week and so that was a new drill uh, Doug Martin laughed saying that he really liked that drill I think guys got a kick out of it but you could tell sometimes they were kind of fighting their way through it because they had to essentially do up-downs while going over bags and having someone punch at them with a stick. And so Singleton seemed to enjoy it, but he'd rather he not have to do that. That's great that you broke that all down because that was actually my next question to you is I would imagine that they would have them going through some sort of drill with this having happened to prevent that from happening in the next game, obviously that being against the Steelers. And uh, (laughs) the Steelers are no joke on defense either, so I I would think that they would have to really drill this kind of thing in to make sure that it doesn't happen again to prevent it and to obviously not cost them another game. Um, Derek Carr is still not throwing interceptions. That has to be some sort of record for the team right now. I believe um, it would surpass a streak set by Rich Gannon, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double check that. But uh, I am right. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, I, I, I just think that they've been really good about protecting the football and this one costing him again against the Chiefs. And it would have brought the Chiefs uh, right to where the Chargers are at in the standings if they were able to force that upset. And this week they could force another upset because the, the Steelers are atop of their division. So if the Raiders can keep playing that role, it could become kind of interesting to see what happens as the, the end of the season plays out for them. So... Again, they have to face Kansas City at the end of the year, but that one being in Kansas City. So uh, I I don't know if they'll have the same momentum going into that game that they did for this one. But 
again, a, a really tough loss. Uh, what's the feeling been like in the locker room, Michael, coming off of uh, that loss? And, I mean, it wasn't – if it weren't for those turnovers, it could have been. It's so close, 40-33. to 33. Uh, You know, what's the feeling been like with the locker room? What did Gruden have to say uh, during the, the media session that just occurred uh, this just this afternoon on Wednesday? It kind of feels like a win, quite honestly, Heidi. It feels like they almost won that game. And I know they didn't. It was 40-33. to 33, And, of course, players in this locker room, they don't believe in moral victories. They understand that they're 2-10. and 10, and They understand that it's one thing to push a team to into the fourth quarter. It's quite another to actually top that team with a victory. And still, that being said, they understand how good the Kansas City Chiefs are. And they understand that based on the way that they were playing ex- – despite the errors that they had, they were able to hang around them. And so that is something of a point of encouragement moving forward. And I think if anything else, this game and the Raiders hope these final four games have come and will come to show that the talk that the Raiders had quit never really was rooted in fact. You know, people Raiders are quitting. You'd see that somewhere. You know, they could quit on John Gruden or they just, you know, they've cashed it in. They're, you know, they're, they're done. That's not the personality of this locker room. You know, people rolled their eyes when they were bringing in all these veteran players, all these 29 or older type of guys. But you know, guys like Jordy Nelson don't know how to quit. We're going to hear from Jared Cook later. Jared Cook doesn't know how to quit. You know, go down the list of guys, Frosty, Rucker, and you know, all the, you know, these are guys that are setting the exact players. So I think have those types of veterans, you allow the type of moment that we saw all or almost saw on Sunday against the Chiefs to happen. And again, you mentioned Jared Cook, and we are going to hear from him here in a little bit. And that's what he's won, he wants from this team. He doesn't want to be on a team that has quitters. Um, it can obviously happen in a season like with what the Raiders are having. Um, the 2-10 season isn't exactly what guys went into thinking it was going to be the outcome. I don't think anybody ever thinks that's going to be the outcome. Unfortunately, it happens, and that's just the way it is with this game, the NFL. You know, you just you might think it's you're going to be in for a winning season, then you get out there and you, you succumb to injury. You have a ton of interceptions thrown early in the first half of this season by Der- uh, Derek Carr. Um, guys like the wide receivers falling out due to injury and. That, and Marshawn Lynch losing him is just uh, th- item after item plus the offensive line. So you have this patchwork type of offensive line that's finally getting healthier, but a uh, little too much too late. Uh, you know, Derek Carr still sacked three times in this last game. So they're not 100% doing the job that they should be doing, keeping him upright, protecting him, giving him time to throw the football. But uh, this team, again, lots of injuries. Uh, Michael, we've seen a couple of more players go to the IR, Martavis Bryant, wide receiver being one, Shalit Calhoun, linebacker being another. Uh, the team has made a couple of signings this week in lieu of that, one of them being a Super Bowl running back from Super Bowl 50, C.J. Anderson, who was with a majority of his career with the Denver Broncos and this season spent a little bit of time with the Panthers. Uh, what kind of role, if any, do you think the, we can expect from him going into this next game against the Steelers? Really, I'm not entirely sure that he's going to be active. The way 
that John Gruden described the transaction on Wednesday was a move that they made with uncertainty at running back, at lead back, where Doug Martin had suffered some measure of a knee ailment this past Sunday against the Chiefs. But that injury does not appear significant, certainly did not stop him from being a full participant in his practice. And so although C.J. Anderson is here, he's still new to this offense. And so to think that he might be active over Doug Martin, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Over Jalen Rashard, of course, that wouldn't be. Over DeAndre Washington, even. I don't know if I can see that yet either. But I do think by signing C.J. Anderson, who so happens to be a Bay Area native, he's from Concord in terms of where he was born. He grew up in Vallejo. His mom is a diehard Raiders fan, a renowned Raiders fan. And so it's a pretty cool opportunity for him to come home and also for the Raiders to take a hard look at the final several spots of their roster, the real bottom of that 53 and sheet and see via these one-year contracts, Demontre Moore, defensive end, another example, the guy they just signed. Benet Ben Wickery, a quarterback who the Raiders just faced a few weeks ago against the Arizona Cardinals. Somebody who actually had some success with Marcel Aitman's 32-yarder set the game-winning field goal. The Raiders' second win of the season. He was part of that play. Marvin Aitman beat him in coverage. Uh, but still, a chance to evaluate guys like him and see whether or not he can be part of their future plans. And so uh, that's kind of the point when you bring in a guy like C.J. Anderson or some of these other guys the Raiders are bringing in. Uh, it's unfortunate that they've had the injuries. They wish Martavis Bryant's knee didn't prove to be as problematic as it has been. They wish Shelly Calhoun didn't suffer the neck injury. Also, a three-time captain, Reggie Nelson, he was placed on injured reserve as well with a shoulder injury. I believe he suffered it Sunday when he had that really hard hit on tight end Travis Kelsey. Uh, I've told that's when that injury occurred. And so uh, a lot of transactions for the Raiders, a, a pretty busy week. Uh, but ultimately, it's more about how these guys can factor into their future plans and how these guys necessarily will get after Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday or for C.J. Anderson's standpoint, you know, if, just upgrade the, the backfield and protect your car. And we will get into that breakdown a bit later here in the podcast we will talk all things Raiders versus Steelers as that comes up here in week 14 of the NFL season but right now what I want to do is take a listen to what you were able to uh, get out of Jared Cook you had a brief interview with him uh, just recently and Jared Cook a longtime veteran of this game 10 years he spent in the NFL and this guy has just been electrifying on the field for this team despite the losses I mean he is again right at the top in the NFL when it comes to the top five tight ends in the game and you look at the numbers and also right now with the Raiders been the most reliable guy I think when it comes to being a red zone target to being a threat and he's had this dream of getting to the Pro Bowl. Michael, what can you tell us about Jared Cook and your interactions with him during this interview? Well, I appreciate his honesty. I think that's the one thing you'll see him. Um, we, we chatted for about 20 minutes, and he was very at ease and open about his career thus far. This is his 10th season in the NFL. Uh, it started with the Tennessee Titans, and it was the St. Louis Rams, Packers for the one year and then these past two with the Raiders and that 2016 campaign is the only season he's been a part of in the NFL that reached the postseason and so he took a reflection on, on a legacy that is pretty unique he's the first tight end in NFL history to have 100 receiving yards with 
four different teams. If you look at the record book as well for the Tennessee Titans, for the LA Rams, and now for the Oakland Raiders, in terms of single game, most receiving yardage, Jared Cook has the biggest game of any tight end in each of those three franchises' histories. And so well, he's somebody who's bounced around and experienced a lack of team success. But there's a reason why teammates voted him their Ebb Block Courage Award this season is that he is hard-nosed, he finishes plays, and as we've seen time and again, he is determined to finish out this season. When I was younger, I guess the Pro Bowl for me comes from when I was younger and the Pro Bowl meant something like mm -hmm. you having a Pro Bowl attached to your last name. Pro Bowl tight end, Jericho. You know, like that meant something like when I first got into league when I was younger in the 90s, like when they used to have it in Hawaii, like that was a big deal. And now it's a little bit different, but it's still something that's a dream of mine from when I was a kid that I want attached to my name. Yeah. I might not ever have Hall of Fame attached to my name, but I could have a Pro Bowl. Mm -hmm. I could do something about that. So that's what I'm working towards, and that's something that I've always wanted to achieve. Just what's it been like just to be a fighter and you know, battling and just kind of going through your career and, and not been able to kind of realize, certainly consistently, the, uh, the team success that I know you, you know, any player wants? Man, it sucks, man. It sucks bad. Uh, especially when you know that you were on teams that were talented enough to get there or get to the postseason, and they just never, it just never panned out. You feel me? Mm -hmm. uh, it sucks, but the things that you have are the memories, um, those games you played in, the relationships that you build with those people. Um, and I think the resilience speaks louder than anything for a person in a losing season and a person in a winning season. I think you have more character and more stories to tell as a person who goes through a losing season and a winning season. Yeah. It shows more about you and how you attack and bounce back. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're winning, everything is easy. Yeah. Everything is easy. Now, when you're when you're losing, that's when you show. That's when you see who the real men are. Like who gonna fight for they when you taking L's. Like, and I don't know. That's just how I always approach it. Yeah. You show your true colors when you taking L's. I mean, just because we losing, I'm not no loser. Well, what do you think has been kind of uh, helped you thus far in, in terms of just being more involved? Um, I just think it's, uh, I think it's more so Coach Gruden understanding who I am. Uh, I've never had coaches that understood what type of player that I was and just the value that I brought to the offense. I think it's partially that and partially, you know, us losing individuals on this offense as well yeah. at certain times in the, in the season. I just think it's a combination of both. But having a coach that understands who you are, understands how you play and that figures out ways to try and get you the ball, those are the coaches that are always ahead in this league, that take advantage of their schemes, take advantage of the mismatches, and that always goes after the defense's neck, like Andy Reid's, like Deshaun McVay's. You know, they take care of the mismatches and they exploit them. Mm -hmm. And and that's why they're so good. So when you have a coach that understands you and that understands what kind of mismatch you bring to the game, you know, that's just an A-plus for me. Yeah. Not all awards are something that teammates vote upon. And so for the Ed Block Courage Award, for that to come from your teammates, 
what did that mean to you? Because you've talked about finishing, you talk about you know, those moments, and that you you know you just keep fighting and finishing strong. And for that, for those to go noticed by your peers, what does that mean to you? Oh, uh, that mean the world to me, like everything, because you know the things that we do in this league and the things that we do in this game, you know, the reflection of our peers really matters. How our peers view us, what type of teammate do they view you as, what type of player do they view you as. You know, this whole league is about respect, and the fact that I got it from the men in this room means a lot to me because their opinions matter. And, you know, I care about the things, how they feel about me as a player, what they see me do out there on the field, how they see me run certain routes. I care about that because these are the men in here that I fight for, and I know they got my back when it comes down to it, too. So having their opinion uh, expressed verbally and out in the open, it means Jared Cook definitely making a case this year for a Pro Bowl bid over his career. He has had over 5,000 receiving yards, 25 touchdowns. That is not something that you come across every day in a tight end. And again, for the Raiders, he's been very reliable in the end zone. This season, he's had three games at 100 yards or more for the Raiders. So, again, Jared Cook, we appreciate you again out, uh, speaking to these guys, Michael, like you're able to do, and being so open with them and being able to bring in that kind of audio. That's what the Vegas Nation is about, and that's why you want to subscribe when you find us on iTunes. That way you can get all of that inside information and these one-on-one interviews that Michael's able to get. And right now what we'll do is we'll take you into week 14 with the Steelers preview. The Oakland Raiders will be at home for this one facing the Steelers. And again, um, this is going to be a, a case where they may be able to upset the AFC North leaders right now. A 7-4-1 and one record for the Steelers. The Raiders, again, at the bottom of the AFC West, but they can play that spoiler role. So one of the big things about this game that I think has obviously caught the attention of a lot of people in this past week is they will be without their lead running back, James Connor, looking at Jalen Samuels now and even Steven Redley to come in and fill that void. Connor leaves some a big hole to fill, some big shoes. Uh, he had 201 touches this season, 909 yards, as well as 12 touchdowns for the team. Uh, Jalen Samuels coming in, I, I think, you know, is going to be kind of a question mark when the Raiders have to prepare. You've got all this film on Connor, and then in comes Samuels, who they really haven't been able to to get that much of a look at. And, and also with Ridley, I mean, they may know him from his past uh, games that he's played. Uh, I believe he was most recently with the Patriots. But when, when you look at these two guys and and try to figure out how they're going to attack uh, when it comes to the running game. Uh, did Gruden or even Carr speak at all, Michael, about the, the preparation for this team and uh, how they anticipate starting to protect when it comes to trying to defend against the run with the Steelers team? I think it's more about preparing for the scheme than it is preparing for necessarily the player himself. That's not to say that the Raiders won't take take a hard look at Jalen Samuels. They'll look at his 19 touches. They'll look at his preseason film. They might even dig back to his college tape at North Carolina yeah. State. But it's more about understanding as the Raiders do that just because James Conner is gone, they're not just going to totally change their offense. They're going to ask Ridley to do certain things that Conner does. 
and they're going to ask Samuels to do certain things that Connor did. And so when the Raiders prepare, I think that's more about the preparation for them. Uh, that being said, you know, you look at the way that the Steelers have been using Samuels and they trust him in pass protection. They trust his ability as a receiver. He played some tight end before he got to the NFL. And so he's somebody with the type of skill set that will project to him being certainly active in the passing game. We'll see how much he does a traditional first and second carrying the ball between the tackle type of role. But um, it's going to be interesting, the usage. You know, that I think is where to project. But all in all, I think they're more focused on the Pittsburgh Steelers scheme rather than who is at running back. And, of course, that scheme, they come with this dual threat at wide receiver. You have Juju Smith-Schuster, who's over 1,100 yards on the season. You have Antonio Brown, who's over 1,000 yards on the season. Combined, the two of them have 16 touchdowns. So <laughs> though I would say they also present a huge threat. And the Raiders' secondary, uh, Reggie Nelson, also had to go on IR recently. So how do you think they'll make do with the loss of Nelson and how will they come together to try to protect against these two powerhouses? You're right. They, I mean, you look at wide receivers across the NFL and you have difficulty finding a better pair than Antonio Brown and, and Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Juju is the second season. Antonio uh, Brown is the perfect person from which to learn. And Gruden was talking about the latter Brown on Wednesday saying he's the hardest working player he's ever seen. And that includes Jerry Wright. So, wow. so uh, the Raiders obviously respect Antonio Brown. They respect Juju Smith-Schuster with the season that he's having. And it's going to be a really good test for this Raiders secondary. Uh, you mentioned the loss of Reggie Nelson, not probably a huge deal when you consider that he's been in a reserve role. He played 19 defensive snaps against the Chiefs. He had eight the week before in Baltimore. It's more about guys like Carl Joseph and Marcus Gilchrist. And I think what's going to be a real interesting is to see how the Raiders cornerbacks can do. Garyon Conley has been playing with so much more confidence. He just seems more so than I've seen him to be enjoying football, just enjoying being on the field and just being comfortable. And I think that comes when you know that you're a starter. And even though you understand that you're going to be rotated out, you still – have a good idea of what your role is going to be. You know, there's no more just pure special teams duty. You know, there's a real extreme fluctuation that I think was difficult on guys like Garon Conley. It was difficult on guys like Rashawn Melvin. Difficult on Dominic Rogers Camardi, who ended up retiring over it. And so I think the secondary is kind of playing with this looseness that is important. And now you have the opportunity to go up against the best, which is what you want as a NFL defensive back you want the opportunity to go up against an Antonio Brown it's not something that Conley has done before this is going to be his first matchup against Brown but talking about say Rashawn Melvin he shadowed Brown last season when Melvin was with the Indianapolis Colts and that's part of the reason why he was rewarded in March with a one-year five and a half million dollar contract with the Raiders just because of what he showed in that game and what he showed over the course of the season just uh, as a competitor and so this is a, a good opportunity to, 
to put together some quality film against the NFL's very best. And Gary Connolly, you mentioned him, and something that I read on USA Today uh, this week was that he's allowed just 15 yards in the last three games uh, where he is in protection so and where he's in coverage. I, I think, like you said, he, maybe he just needed that repetition, uh, the consistency of being on the field. He was, you know, riddled with injury uh, last year. So this year he's been able to come in and really – I think start to find his flow again. And like you said, having a lot of fun. So he's somebody that I think, you know, the Raiders as they're such a young team, they, they can definitely build their defense around. No doubt. And he's been a player for some time. It's just, it's good to see him get the opportunity to do it consistently. You know, last year, I remember back in the spring before he suffered the, the leg injury that ultimately the shin injury ultimately would end his season and ruin camp and ruin his preseason. He looks fantastic. I mean, you could see him on a field with David Anderson and Sean Smith, and he looked like the best cornerback on the field. Those are veterans, too. So the way he would move, he was so fluid in coverage, and just he had really good ball skills when the ball was in the air. And so now we're starting to see those things in a game situation, and you're starting to see him just open up a bit in terms of just him being himself. And so it's a minute for the Raiders. One of those you know, positive type of things. I think if you are the Raiders, if you're a Raiders fan and you're looking for sources of optimism, I think you have to be encouraged by what we've seen from the offense lately. And you have to be encouraged by the young guys such as Garon Conley who are developing and should only figure to grow further this off season once they can build off of all this game experience that they've gotten this year. And you speak of optimism and what we have to look forward to uh, with this team. And as they prepare to face the Steelers here on Sunday of week 14 of the NFL season, it's time for us to get into the keys of the game and the picks. Uh, again, I, I think we've been pretty on target, Michael. In fact, a couple weeks back, I think I was just three points shy of actually predicting the actual score. I was pretty proud of myself there. But <laughs> this <Nice>. week, <laughs> there's some claps there from our producer, Larry Mir. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. But uh, um, for the keys of the game, obviously, what the obvious things are that you can see with this team is protecting the football. That's something that they have to do to be able to pull off another upset. And then uh, the second thing I think would be to try to contain these two wide receivers that present major threats on offense with the uh, Juju Smith-Schuster again and Antonio Brown. Uh, So I I think it'll be a big question mark again with Jalen Samuels. That's just my opinion. I, I think that, you know, they may try some some crazy new plays that people haven't seen with them. Maybe there's something that they can do with them that they it can't do with James Conner. I don't know. But uh, it, it's going to be an interesting one here in Oakland. Uh, Michael, what are your keys to the game before we throw out our picks for this week? Well, I think protecting Derek Carr is something that remains a work in progress. But we did see some strides for improvement. In the most recent game, I want to say it's 10 of the past 11 weeks, Derek Carr has been sacked at least three times. And so uh, you go against the likes of TJ Watt. I, I think that, of course, will be a point of emphasis. Uh, Derek Carr, as you mentioned earlier, this streak of seven straight games without an interception, um, continuing to give your team a chance by winning the turnover margin. The Raiders really aren't 
talented enough to overcome it when they have, you know, those three lost fumbles in a game. They had a lot of penalties, too, that really cost them this past game that effectively, in at least one circumstance, was like a turnover. You know, there was a third and five where Fidal Brown jumps outside to the free play incompletion, but because of the penalty, it continued what ultimately culminated in a touchdown drive. And Fidal Brown since has been waived because of that very play. But ultimately, it's more about just minimizing the mistakes, minimizing the sacks, the turnovers, the penalties, and that's how the Raiders can give themselves a chance to win. It's a bit generic, but general. Uh, and that's kind of the keys to any game. Turnover margin okay. is one of the most significant corollary statistics when it comes to a team's win or loss result. But I think it's something that the Raiders can build on. They have a bit of a streak going, and Derek Carr has been played some pretty clean football. With courtesy, I think, worth highlighting is, is Jordy Nelson was fantastic this past game. He's been fantastic in the locker room. He's been fantastic in meetings, you know, helping guys like Marshall Aitman out by giving him an example, but showed on Sunday when he's healthy. He's been dealing with multiple different ailments, including a knee injury. He was on the injury report Wednesday with a toe. He can be somebody still who is the type of target that Derek Hart needs in order to have games like he had on Sunday, 29 of 30, passing 285 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, and uh, right now, as it stands on NFL.com, Oakland, 22nd overall in offense and 28th overall in defense, whereas the Steelers, they are 4th overall in offense and 7th overall in defense. And, they're, you know, the last three games between these teams have been very close. Uh, they have all been three-point games, with the last matchup having come in November of 2015, final score 38 35. So I want to get into the numbers now. Let's uh, pick here. What do we think uh, the, the pick will be for the Steelers at Oakland? I will choose the Steelers. <laughs> I have a hard time imagining that Ben Roethlisberger will feel too much pressure. Um, from a protection standpoint, I think it'll be just fine. Uh, despite the loss of James Conner, which follows the unavailability of Le'Veon Bell. I think there is enough there for the Steelers' offense, including Vance McDonald, a tight end, clearly a position of concern in terms of recent weeks. The Raiders have really struggled uh, to defend tight ends and coverage. And, of course, Travis Kelsey with this 160-plus yard game that was the most against the Raiders in franchise history for a tight end. Um, that it was a reminder. So uh, I'm going to just say that a lot of points will be scored and I have difficulty seeing the Raiders being able to keep up. Uh, we'll call it 31 to, say, 24 Steelers win. All right. I'm going to pick a little bit higher just because I have uh, in front of me right now, the Steelers have actually scored 31.7 points a game against bottom 10 scoring defenses, that being on NFL.com. So I'm going to go with 34 for the Steelers. And, you know, I think the Raiders are going to keep it close again. I'm going to give them 27. I'm going to give them 27 points, even though the Steelers do have a very formidable defense. I think that they're going to be able to put up some uh, points here at home. So that's my final 34-27 for the Steelers. And, Michael, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I know you're very busy. You're cranking out some more stories. So, uh, again, you can always keep up with Michael at Gelkin NFL on Twitter and then find all of his work on ReviewJournal.com. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Have a good one. Thank you.
And again, for Vegas Nation, you can always subscribe on iTunes and you can find there all of our episodes as well as uh, the Vegas Nation mailbag that is done. Those are also available under the Vegas Nation banner on iTunes. So we will be back next week to recap everything that went down here in week 14. And again, to preview the upcoming week and bringing you all these insider interviews that Michael can get at the Raiders facility during the week. So keep up with us here. And for me, Heidi Fang, give me a follow at Heidi Fang on Twitter. Thank you for listening.